I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast, and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog, and I have my co-host here, Sean Latimer. Hello, everyone. And today we are going to be talking about this article, which is called Check, Check. Can you hear me? I so, like it. <laughs> Sean, you're going to, I mean, people are going to find out a lot more about you and I right now. That's true. Why have we known each other for 15 years? Because uh, Trevor the Extraordinaire, as he says like in this article. I like that title. Yeah, you know, I got yeah. a lot of tricks in my back. Fair enough. As he says in this article, he was a manager for a fitness company back in the day in his early 20s. And uh, one thing I thought was kind of funny is you said that why were you a manager was because of your leadership skills or ability to uh, find amazing talent. I think you do have those qualities because you hired me oh, when I was 18 years old. So obviously you did something right. So I yeah. made a joke in the article, if you're listening to this, saying that uh, I was a manager of a gym. And I asked in the article, was I a manager because of my amazing leadership skills or my ability to identify and develop talent? Not so much. I was a manager because I was good at selling gym memberships. Now, Sean wants to spin that and say, man, I'm amazing at recognizing talent because uh, senior in high school, Sean Latimer came into the gym and uh, I hired him on the spot. And that is the beginning of our story. And that was 15 years ago. 15. Yeah, you're revealing how old you are. I know. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, it's amazing how life works. And uh, we've been friends ever since. A lot of good memories from those days at the gym. A lot of funny memories, some bad memories. And, the, and it's funny and when you look at the bad memories in hindsight, like things that just crushed us or ruined our day. And now we look back and laugh that I can't believe we cared about yeah, this. Why did you care? <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, I was talking about it with you the other day. There was this, I got to find the study because I don't remember it, but there was basically this study where they made like a teenage boy kind of sit in a chair in a Macy's window as people were kind of walking by. And the study was like how self-conscious he was about mm -hmm. why are people looking at you or whatever. And then they did the same thing with like a 50-year-old man, and he did not care at all. Um, and it's just this idea as we get older, we become a lot less self-conscious. And at 24 Fitness, man, we were so... Oh, I wasn't going to say you that. You weren't supposed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> when we worked in the fitness industry, uh, we were so self-conscious about the critique from our superiors and things like that. And that's kind of where the article goes is I remember we had a new CEO mm -hmm. and uh, this gentleman had a really strong resume. He was in leadership at Home Depot. He actually played uh, basketball at the Naval Academy with my favorite basketball player, David Robinson. I think you cared more about that than that he was like a senior VP at Home Depot. <laughs> oh, no, I definitely I definitely cared more about that. But yeah, you had this guy that came in, and for Sean and I, we, we grew up in this organization, right? It was kind of like the first place that we worked. We climbed the ladder. We had some responsibility there. We started to make some income, and, and it was a big part of our growing up. And when we started working there, it was very much a sales culture. Yeah. Like all that matters is how many gym memberships did you sell? And then you woke up the next day and nobody cared about what you did yesterday. It was how many gym memberships did you sell today? Yep. That's right. The, it was a, uh, what they call it, clock on a calendar. Is that, I've never heard it. Tell me about it. Scoreboard reset every day. It did, it did not matter what you did yesterday. It was what's happening now. And uh, 
It's funny when I think about it. Yeah, Sean and I joke a lot because uh, at the end of each month, final they, days, final days, <laughs> they called it. They called it closeout. Um, you were basically closing out the month, and it was kind of a sprint to the finish line. That being the finish line of the end of the month, which was going to happen every thirty days. So you had this closeout. You're supposed to prepare and do the most membership sales, and we'd put signs all over the gym that said "Final Days." You would and, answer the phone. Final days, this is Sean. <laughs> yeah, so it was a crazy time in our life. But when this naval officer came in and took over as CEO, he changed the culture. He tried to. Tried to. Uh, oh, yeah, because cha- I wasn't there anymore. You were. Yeah. It kind of changed back and forth. Yeah, the pendulum swung. <laughs> exactly. But he came in and he kind of said, hey, this organization has grown so much. You know, you have 400 locations across the United States and you have this really deep sales culture, which is ingrained in this idea of acquisition like you will continue to grow the business by acquiring new members but there's another side of the equation that at that time we never thought about in this idea of retention mm-hmm. that if you lost a, a member and the revenue associated with that like it was more expensive for marketing dollars and employees and all that to go find a new member so he tried to shift the culture from this sales culture to this service culture right and it made sense because uh, most of the time when you're a growing company, you, you're really trying to create like brand recognition. And they already had that because they had such a large member base. And so his thought was, why pay to acquire new customers or pay a higher dollar amount when you don't need to? You just need to retain your current customers and it'll solve the problem. Yeah, like this idea of having a hole in the bucket. Right. Rather than try to fill it up with more water, why don't you just fix the hole in the bucket? Exactly. And his idea was that the way to keep people engaged um, is to get them involved, but also to have a facility that is clean, friendly, and well-maintained. And that is ingrained in you and I, this idea of cleanliness and friendliness, because we worked with the CEO through that season of seven years or however long he was there. And we were responsible for a new thing. Um, I talked about in the article that this six foot seven gentleman that was extremely intimidating came to the gym that I was responsible for, and I spent 20 minutes with him. He probably said two words, and he literally just walked around the gym and kind of was like running his finger along a table and seeing if there was dust. He was hearing a squeaky piece of equipment and looking at why it wasn't working appropriately. He was wondering why the staff wasn't all smiling or why they weren't saying goodbye and greeting every customer. Or he would ask members as they'd walk by for feedback, which in hindsight is a great idea because that's the best feedback you can get. But when you're standing there and they're just saying everything that's wrong, you're just melting. Like, why is this happening to me? (laughs) Yeah, because going back, we were like super self-conscious, took this really seriously. But that tour is embedded in my brain and it was so uncomfortable. But I learned a really important lesson. I learned about checklists. Mm -hmm. That he had that military background and he just walked around and he created this checklist. And this checklist was for small things and big things and medium-sized things. And the checklist filled the whole page. And then he had a plan. All he needed to do on was he needed to execute on improving on each of those checklist items. And what would happen? Incrementally, he would make the business better. And incrementally, he would shrink that attrition number. Mm -hmm. So I was introduced to checklists. And I think... If you're listening, you're like, oh, obvious checklist, like no brainer. It's not a no brainer because I can tell you about a lot of times that I 
toiled at the gym on how I could be a better leader, a better manager, and I wanted to create this perfect plan. And I was, you know, making it in PowerPoint and I was putting the pictures in and I was titling things and I was bullet pointing. I was doing all these things. And by the time I tinkered with that plan and perfected it, I was already over it. Yeah, I I wasn't going to even execute on it. Here's what I love about checklists. And this is advice to much more than personal finance. Um, It could apply to if you're leading a church, you're leading an organization, or you're the head of the Boy Scouts. Whatever you're doing, here's the power of a checklist. You can easily identify things that need to be improved. You can give them a title and their own line item. And then you can go back and just check them off one at a time and look how fast you get to execution, right? Because there's this idea we used to say, uh, how do you say it? Uh, Analysis paralysis? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And that people would just get so caught up in the planning and discussing and making a PowerPoint that they just never did anything. Well, that's how most companies are too. You know, you you look at companies that found a product and they're very successful it's not that they were the first person to have the idea the right plan they just executed really well and that's what brought him success i'm going to make fun of trevor right now because it's my favorite thing to do in the world but oh thank you <laughs> but when, i'm glad i'm here for this so t- quick little story but it, trevor actually has multiple checklists he has long-term checklists and he also has short-term have to get done today and so there'll be times where i stop in his office i'm like hey do you have a minute or you know, let's walk across the street and, and grab coffee or something. And he, you can tell he gets flustered because he's like, look, look at what I have to get done. My checklist. I can't do it. But the funny part is I asked him before this, before we start recording, I say, hey, Trevor, if you get something done and it's already done, you don't have to remember anything. It's already done. Do you write it on your checklist and then cross it off? And what would you say? I do 100%. <laughs> I love the feeling of checking things off. So I come into the office and I get something done for a client. Yeah, there are some times I scribble that onto my checklist and then right off to the left of it, I say, check, that's done. Because <laughs> that's the best feeling. And I talk about in the article is that you're kind of memorializing this idea of what you got done for the day. And sometimes it's not always easy to remember that. Like sometimes you end the day exhausted and you're like, but what did I actually do? Yeah. Or you end the end of the day with a ton of energy and you're like, man, did I work hard today? Well, the great thing is if you look at a checklist, you're like, oh, wow, I checked off 12 of these things. That must have been a really good day. So it's kind of a good accountability tool too. And I'm a huge believer in kind of like whatever you want to call it, like gradualism or incrementalism, like this idea that if you can just make incremental improvements over time, that in hindsight, over enough time, you see gigantic change. Yeah, and another thing to consider, too, is checklists have been around for a long time. Technology makes it easier now. You know, you have Outlook calendars and reminders and iPhone and Alexa and all these things. But there is something to be said for an old-fashioned piece of paper, 10 things to get done this weekend. Check, 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 check. Yeah, I think it's huge. And I like uh, – I put this quote in here from – I won't try to say his name. But if you read the article, you can you can try to read his name. Or should we try to say it? Carl von Klauschwitz? That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it sounds good. So he basically says the enemy of a good plan is the dream of a perfect plan. And man, I've seen that so many times. Yeah. And uh, I'll give another quote from General Patton. It says, a good plan, violently executed now, is better than a perfect plan next week. And I find myself singing that tune to people a lot these days because I watch people toil through the planning process. And I remind them, hey – the execution process is just as important as the planning process. And this is not an advocation for 
ready, fire, aim. Like I think you should take your time to figure out what the important things are, but man, oh man, a lot of people don't get to that execution stage, which checklists can help you get there. The other thing checklists can help you do, which was kind of the spark of this article, is each year I do, for personally, for my own family, I do an end-of-year financial personal checklist. And it can be daunting to create that checklist because there's a lot of moving parts, right? Did I maximize all deferral accounts? Did I make sure that I covered all my quarterly tax payments? Uh, Is there an opportunity to refinance debt? Is it going to be important to make a larger contribution to my donor advised fund this year? All these things are important, but there's a lot of moving parts. So what did I do this year? I used last year's checklist. So it's a good resource to make sure that nothing's left behind And checklists are living documents. I can add, subtract, edit anytime I want. It's not something that is set in stone. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think there's a kind of a sweet spot between shooting from the hip and just executing and putting together the perfect plan. And one thing we know when it comes to financial planning is you don't necessarily want to spend too much effort and time making sure it's perfect because what's one thing we know for sure? Life happens. Absolutely. And the plan changes. And so that trip, that extra house, that whatever it might be, that wedding you're planning on paying for, something happens and maybe it's not the same that you thought it was going to be. So I think it's important that you stay as nimble as the plan stays. Yeah, definitely. And also I tell people all all the time lately because I'm involved in this planning process and I want to be wise with my time and with their time is that if it's something far off where there's a lot of variables that are going to come into play and, and kind of the ultimate decision is still undecided, there's a general plan that needs to be made there, not a specific plan. Mm -hmm. If you start making a granular plan for something that may or may not happen, there's a good chance that you could be wasting your time. Yeah. Now, if you're not a checklister, you kind of might not know where do you even start. So I gave some outline in this article of saying, hey, here's four easy steps that I would see on how you create a checklist. Step one, you start with the broad categories for what you're trying to solve for. So here we're talking about personal finance, right? Mm-hmm. So let's think of some broad personal finance categories, things like tax planning, estate planning, reviewing your insurance, reviewing your investment portfolio, how you manage cash, what your liabilities look like and the cost of that debt. You make these broad categories and you write them down on paper, right? Because this is you're going to create your checklist. From there, the next step that you're going to do is you start asking yourself questions. So what are some questions you might ask in those areas, Sean? Are there any tax strategies that you should be looking at? You mentioned deferring savings. Uh, One common thing I I think that comes up a lot in financial plans is when you look at the saving category, it's assuming that any surplus of income for that year is being saved in some sort of capacity, whether it's a 401k at work, an IRA, a Roth IRA, or just an overall taxable account. And I think that sometimes that might get missed because they'll let it a, a surplus accumulate in cash, and that's going to create an opportunity cost, possibly, if you let it sit for too long. Yeah, definitely. So like you talked about tax planning, you took this broad area of tax planning and you started to ask questions. Are there any tax-saving execution that I can do before the end of the year? Then you talked about cash management. Has my surplus in cash management out? paste my emergency fund? And is there opportunities to deploy that cash? Should I do that? 
when you start asking these questions, what's it going to reveal? It's going to reveal the items or strategies that you should be putting on your final checklist. And that's that next step where you start bullet pointing these things. So for my end of the year checklist, those bullet points are things like I said, review my quarterly tax payments. Is it in line with what I need to pay? Review maxing out those deferral plans. And that's things like 401ks, HSAs, uh, Things like backdoor Roth contributions, like little strategies, again, incremental, gradual, but can make a big difference in the long run. Mm -hmm. So you begin to bullet point those things. Now, the last step, step number four, which I think a lot of people miss, is you then have to reshuffle this list and prioritize it in the order that you want to execute it on. Now, if you initially are thinking, hey, how do I prioritize things? You're probably thinking you're going to sort it. Uh, most important at the top and least important at the bottom, which I think that is a good way to do it. You, when I say important, I'm thinking of things that are impactful. Or time, or time sensitive. Time sensitive, a good, a good way to put it. Um, yeah, so important means uh, time sensitive or crucial or really impactful. Mm-hmm. The other sorting mechanisms that you have to look at, though, is difficulty, right? If something is very time-consuming and if that one checklist item has multiple facets to it, you might not want to tackle that first at the beginning of your day. No, it could probably create fatigue too. And then you're like, oh, forget it. I'll deal with this later. Yeah. And this is sounds like a little bit of an odd thing, but sometimes you want to put those easy wins at the top of the checklist so you can build some momentum and it's energizing, right? To be able to hit that check mark. Like I don't want to give Dave Ramsey too much credence, but one really interesting thing that he writes about in his books is he talks about, how you organize paying off debt. And I think the natural thing people would want to do is pay off the highest percentage debt first. Mm-hmm. But what he talks about is sometimes just tackle the lowest debt item, even if it's a lower interest rate. Why? So you get a win under your belt. Yeah. So you can feel like you've accomplished something, you can achieve something. And the... He calls it the snowball effect, I think. He does, yeah. yeah. And the mental dividends that that can pay and to get you to endure through like a checklist or paying down debt, it's powerful. So you have to think how you're prioritizing this list. And like you said, where will you experience fatigue and how could you be energized by completing some of these things? Yeah, that makes sense. I think there's a there's a lot of like, uh, I'm going to butcher it, but it talks about personal successful habits. And I remember reading somewhere it said, something takes less than two minutes to do it and it's something you need to do, just do it. And you're going to feel so much better the rest of the day. And it's true. I, I kind of make a rule for that. Like if I need to move something that's in the garage and I know it's only going to take a minute and I'm looking at it and I'm like, ah, I, I just do it. And I'm glad I do it because all those little things add up over time. And the same works with a financial plan. Yeah. To where when they add up, they can feel overwhelming. So I had similar advice that somebody gave me. I don't know who it was, but it was a long time ago. And they gave me this rule of thumb that says uh, when you get an email or a task or somebody assigns something to you, here's the rule of thumb. Do it, delete it, delegate it, or date it. And I always remembered that. So now that's what I do. So I get an email that comes across. Okay, I read it. I've understood what it what I need to do here, but there's actually nothing I need to execute on. Okay, delete it. It's removed from my checklist. Oh, this is an item that I can actually do in five minutes. Okay, do it. Oh, this is a bigger project date it, put it on my calendar for another date to complete it. Oh, this is a project that I could do, but actually another team member would be more appropriate to execute on this, delegate it. So by using that filtering system, you kind of can 
be more efficient on how you execute through your checklist. Because like you said, things will add up and these checklists can get big. And if you want to know, like you said, if I'm flustered or I'm feeling anxiety, you don't have to talk to me to understand (laughs) that. Just go look at my checklist. If it's getting above 12, 14, 16 things, I begin to feel a little bit overwhelmed. And that same thing is true for my email. The way I manage my email is if it's in my inbox, it's not done yet. So it's a checklist item. And I like to have an empty inbox. So that's not the same for everybody. Some people's inbox might have 3,000 emails. Maybe that's Sean Latimer. Yeah. Um, and maybe that gives me anxiety, but we're not going to talk about it. We'll, we'll discuss that at another time. Yeah, it's so true. Even when I'm showing you something on my desktop, I'll have like 15 windows up. And he's like, ah, what, what is this? I'm cringing. <laughs> And it would be easy to kind of say, as we're kind of joking around about how you and I differ, but you use checklists, right? It's fair to say. It's not like a quirk in my character or personality. Like checklists are beneficial across many professions. And so much so, there's a surgeon who's also an author that wrote this book called The Checklist Manifesto. And the motivation for writing that book is he he either heard about or, or knew a story of uh, a little girl that fell into like a, a a frozen lake or something and how the doctor used this checklist to kind of save her life because there are these items that could easily get missed or crossed to, to figure out what's going on. And he talks about this book, but how checklists can be life-saving. And when he talked about that, I can really, I got two little boys that were delivered via C-section and I was in the I guess that's operating a surgery room. Yeah, operating room, surgery yeah. room, whatever it is, um, when it was happening. And I watched this like delicate dance as the anesthesiologist, the doctor, and the nurses go through their ritual checklist. And one thing, if you've never been in that room, you wouldn't know this, but the nurse at the end, once the baby is born and, and all this, the one of the last checklist items is the nurse, all gloved up and everything, is counting the gauze one by one, out loud, and dictating it to the, the doctor. To make sure no, nothing is left behind. Yeah, and I was like, why would they, exa- you're exactly right, but I was thinking, why would they do that? And, and uh, as gruesome as this sounds, is they don't want one of those pieces of gauze to be stitched back up in my wife's belly. Yeah. So they have a checklist that's basically saying, hey, we came in with 20 pieces of this, and we're leaving with 20 pieces of this in the, the, the disposable uh, bag or whatever it might be. And it was a reminder, I'm like, oh, that was a mistake that somebody made one time where yeah. they had to create some sort of redundancy or rule or checklist to make sure that that didn't happen again. Yeah, it's reminded me of a commercial. I think there's like a surgeon and the guy wakes up and he's like, something bad happened. And then his cell, the doctor's cell phone starts ringing and it's in the guy's stomach. And he's like, we'll fix it. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And you can imagine we're you know financial advisors. We're talking about surgeons. But do you think the same thing applies to pilots? Absolutely. Yeah. Wasn't there – I could be completely wrong. So listeners, please don't call me out too bad. But wasn't there something where like pilots' checklists used to be so long that like sometimes they'd be like worried about the checklist and, and maybe crash or something bad happened because they, they were looking at all the instruments and not just flying the plane? Do you remember hearing something like that? Or I don't, but I'll trust you to Google it, and you can yeah. come back next week, and we can we can fact check you. But it would make sense. Like there probably is this idea of being well organized in your checklist, so it doesn't distract you from your actual duty. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of instruments in, in a plane, um, and it's not like 
you can just uh, spend a weekend getting certified and all of a sudden you're a right. pilot, right? You have to understand how all those mechanisms work and you have to have a checklist to make sure that you don't forget anything along the way. And thank you that they have that checklist because uh, the error rate or the likelihood that a plane crashes is really low. So it's, a, it's, an, it's one of those professions that you do have to strive for absolute perfection. Yeah, and actually anytime there is uh, an accident or something, it actually lowers the rate even more because they learn from that and then they add an additional safety precaution or something with the manufacturer. I did have one other funny thing that I it reminded me when you said, hey, you use checklists, right? So I used to take, you know, those paper pads, like yeah. just standard. Like letter. a legal pad or like something. A, yeah, exactly. And I remember I would use one and every day I would just write the day, the date, and then little dashes of like what I have to get done. And I would just do that for each day. And sometimes it takes half a page. Sometimes it takes like a really small part of the whole page. And every time I would just flip the page over and over and over. And I got in this habit that when I'm done, I would like throw it in a desk drawer or a box. And uh, I was cleaning out my bedroom and I found a box of about 15 notepads from for over like four years. This is my life's work. All completed. Like, and I was like looking at a couple of them and it's like, call this person back or do this. And I remember I was looking at this and then I threw them away, obviously, because I don't need them. But it was kind of funny to see like, wow, I actually kept pretty good records of all the things I got done in that three years or whatever it was. No, definitely. And the more you do it, you kind of become a checklister. Like I know if you're a client of mine and you're listening to this, like if we have a review call, what are you going to get in your email? You're going to get a recap and a checklist from me on the things that you and I are going to execute on. Um, I have my own checklist on client projects. If you come to my desk right now and open my computer, there's an extensive list of works in progress for clients, and I'm checking those things off daily. I go to the grocery store for my family a lot, so I absolutely bring a checklist. Now, if what I want you to gather from this podcast and this article is that if there are some areas in your life where you're familiar with this and you're like, oh, second nature, Trevor, like why are you talking about checklists? I'm asking you, are you having discussions with your financial advisor and are you guys collaborating to create a checklist? Because one thing I tell new clients when they're coming on board, and I don't say this to surprise them or overwhelm them, but I tell them, hey, it might take us three years to get to a point of executing on all these facets of the financial plan. Like Rome wasn't built in a day. And by the time we get to year three, things have changed and other things. So we're never going to be done. But what I want you to gather from this is that you should have a living document of a checklist that you are working through with your advisor that is showing you what are the things that you need to achieve over the next 12 months? How are those things prioritized? And who's the responsible party? Is the advisor executing on that? Is it you, the client's responsibility? Is it something that you guys are going to do together? Does that one of those items need to be in the calendar? Does another professional have to be looped in? There should be clarity in these checklists. And I don't know, if I'm a client, I, I would expect this because I want to know what is our game plan. What are we working on? What are we trying to achieve? And then also, what I absolutely love about checklists, what have we already achieved? Because it's great to celebrate the culmination of something, like retirement. But it's also nice along the way if you can celebrate all the little tasks and objectives you had to achieve to actually get to retirement. So the great thing about a checklist, since it's always growing and always changing, you can look back at the things that you've already achieved which will provide some motivation to achieve the things that are ahead of you. And you always have a working list of what are the 
little granular or big items that I'm working on to make those incremental improvements across my financial life. Makes sense. Sean Latimer, is there anything you'd like to add before we close out our podcast today? Nope. Uh, happy Friday to everyone. And, uh, you know, I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas. I'm not sure if we're allowed to say that. You happy holidays. Allowed. Merry yeah, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you yeah, celebrate. Okay. Happy holidays. And that reminds me, which I forgot to put in the article, but we'll say this in the podcast. We are going to take the next two weeks off uh, as I think Christmas and New Year's is a Friday. So we usually put this out on Saturday. So next time you talk to us, it'll be 2021, which is a brand new year, which should be exciting because every... Uh, joke or meme out there is uh, relative to 2020. So we can put that behind us. Yeah. And that will be exciting. But we will be back with you next year. If you don't mind, as a little Christmas present to us, if you want to rate the podcast, if you want to leave a comment, we'd appreciate it. You can reach me at tcummings at thebonsagroup.com, Sean at slatimer at thebonsagroup.com. And next year, we will be back with more of our Thoughts, Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.